All right, well, good morning, West Park. If you will, turn with me, Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 7, continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount. And while you're turning there, let me tell you something you probably already know. In our day and age, it can be especially hard to know who is telling the truth, what's real and what's fake. So I don't know if you heard about this, but did you know that the Eiffel Tower actually caught fire this week? Did you hear about this? So here's, I think we have a picture. Um, So not really, not really. But that was from a AI-generated TikTok video that went viral this week and had millions and millions and millions of views and thousands and thousands of comments and people believed it so much that the official Twitter or X account for the Eiffel Tower had to tweet out a picture proving that the Eiffel Tower was still standing (laughs) because this was making its way around the internet and people were believing it. And why not? I mean, it, it looks really real. So sometimes it's, it's hard to know what to believe because people are just trying to deceive us. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is, as we look ahead, uh, AI is going to just make that harder and harder and harder as the years go by. So that, that's, that's one reason it's hard to know what the truth is. Another reason it's hard to know the truth is because we simply have so many competing voices, right? so many different people saying different things. So... I made this decision recently that I'm going to try to start eating healthier, okay? So that's, my, that's kind of my, my, my new 24, 2024 thing, I guess. Um, but I'm in the phase of that, you know, where you start researching how to eat healthier without actually eating healthier, right? Have you ever been there? Like, um, so I'll be reading an article about why fried foods and sweet drinks are bad for you as I crush a 12-count nugget from Chick-fil-A and drink a large sweet tea. Like, I'm, I'm there, right? Where I'm, I'm learning a bunch of stuff, not really applying it quite yet. But with the snowpocalypse being home, you know, for a week, um, I had some extra time on my hands. And so I ended up deep down this rabbit hole of healthy eating and what the ideal diet is and just doing a bunch of research and watching a bunch of YouTube videos and, and all this stuff. And after hours and hours of doing this, I finally came to watch a video where two doctors were arguing whether it is healthy to eat broccoli. And I got so frustrated, I just slammed down my laptop. And I'm like, if if eating broccoli is not healthy, I know nothing, right? Like, Like, so the more that I got into this, the more that I tried to learn what a healthy diet was, I just got more confused. Because there's so many competing voices that we have to listen to, it's hard to know what the truth is. Now, as Christians, take that and apply it to Bible teachers, right? (laughs) Take that, okay, and apply it to Bible teachers, all of that information available to us. Millions of Bible teachers available to us. The algorithms on social media sending these different Bible teachers to us. We have unbelievable access to good teaching. And we have unbelievable access to bad teaching. (laughs) How do you know? How do you know what the truth is? It's hard to know who's telling the truth. And Jesus knows this. He, He knows that this is a problem. Now, it wasn't the same situation in his day. A little different. He didn't have the the internet, obviously, but it was still a problem. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to give us guidance on how to know, 
how to, to sift through and know who the reliable teachers are. And so let's go ahead and read the passage. We're going to go back a little bit. We're going to start in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7. That's what we studied last week. And then we're going to read all the way through verse 20. Okay, it's 13 through 20. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. So let's look here. Let's just start and really quickly, let's look at verses 13 and 14. So this was the, the sermon last week. And just to summarize it, Jesus says that there are two different gates, and these two different gates lead to very different places. So the scary one here is that there is a wide gate, and it's scary because it's wide. I mean, the, the, I think what Jesus is saying here is that if we don't do something our natural, the magnetic pull of our world is pulling us to that wide gate, right? Our sinful flesh, the world, Satan, our great enemies are pulling us to that wide gate, and that's scary because he says it leads to destruction. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. There aren't signs along the wide way to tell you to turn back. There's no signs that say, you're going the wrong way, turn back. It, you can be on this path. You can be going through the wide gate and not even know it. And Jesus says many will do that. And that's scary. But there's an alternative. This narrow gate that he talks about, and this narrow gate is the way of Jesus. It's narrow, but it leads to life. And so that was the question from last week. You remember this. What path are you going to take? Narrow, broad. There's only two options, the way of Jesus or the other way. Okay. So that was last week. But, but here's, let me add a little bit to this. Okay. We have to either go down the narrow gate or the broad gate, but here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that we're going to need leaders to lead us on those paths. We're never meant to do this alone. We need other people. We need other human beings, other leaders to lead us and guide us on the way. And Jesus knows this, right? He knows that we're going to need people to, to, to be a little bit out ahead of us, to, to be a little bit, who maybe know a little bit more than us, who are a little bit wiser than us, who are a little bit godlier than us, to lead us on the path. We, we need leaders. So a couple years ago, I started trail running with friends. Okay, you ever done this, trail running? So, so in trail running, the way this works is you, it's, it's running, but you're out in the woods and you're on trails and you're on this very narrow path. So, so you picture this. The paths are so narrow, you have to go one at a time, single file. 
And the way it works is that as you're running, there's someone out front who leads the whole group. Can you picture this? So picture four or five people running in a line, and there's someone out front, and they're leading, and they're in charge. Okay? They're running, they're looking for holes on the trail. So if there's a hole, they call back to everyone else. If there's a tree branch coming out, they tell everyone to duck. They're the ones who know the direction you're supposed to go because over and over again, you don't know where, you know, it's right, left. They're in charge of getting you back to your car in one piece. Okay? So if you're like me, I'm never in the front, okay? Because I'm not fast enough to be in the front, so no one would get a workout if I was in the front. So I'm always in the, in the middle or the back. And as I'm running, it's really great because there's this guide out in front of me. And he or she are going to call out. And they're going to say, hole or branch or turn left. And all I have to do is run, try not to die. And then in 45 minutes, I end up back at my car. It's, it's, it's great, right? It's, it's, it's an awesome sport. Well, here's the, here's the thing. So I, I did this, you know, a, for a while. We would go out. We would run this trail. And I got confident. And I thought that I could go out and I could run the trail by myself. 45-minute run, told Allie, I'll be home for dinner. Okay. I get out there. An hour and a half later, I'm still out on the trail. Okay? An hour and a half later, I'm still out there. I got lost. Okay? Eventually found my way back. And I stepped in a hole and twisted my ankle. Okay? Wasn't a fun time. What happened was I was taking that guide for granted. I got a little bit confident. I thought I knew the way. Turns out I didn't. Turns out once you get out there, it all looks the same. <laughs> I didn't know what trail I was on. I'd just been listening to the guide in front of me. I didn't, I didn't finish well because I didn't have a guide. And so that's my point. Leaders are a gift, right? Someone to guide you on the narrow path is a gift from God. People who can say what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Someone who can stand up and they're going to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he does. You just follow my example. I'll model this for you. That's a beautiful thing. But it assumes something, doesn't it? It assumes that the leader is guiding you in the right direction. It assumes that the leader is reliable. It assumes that they're taking you the right way. And that takes us to today. Because Jesus tells us not every leader is reliable. Okay. Sometimes you're out on that trail run following a leader and they lead you off a cliff. Not every leader is reliable. That's his warning for us. So look at, look at verse 15. Here's what he said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are guides out there. We all need guides in life. But there are guides out there who will lead you to the broad gate. But the scary thing is, you see what Jesus is saying here, it won't be obvious, right? They're not going to come looking all menacing, saying, come to the broad gate, right? Like, it's, it's not like that. They're going to look like sheep. What, what are sheep? Sheep are Christians. They're, they're going to know how to, to talk the talk, they're going to look like sheep. I mean, Jesus talked earlier in the Sermon on the Mount back in chapter 6 about people who pray these beautiful public prayers using all the right words, who, who give generously, right? Who, who make sure you know, look how much I'm giving. Who fast very publicly. The way he described it is they, they make themselves look miserable so you know, oh, they're fasting, right? That, that's a godly person. But what's the problem? Nothing wrong with giving, Nothing wrong with, with praying, nothing wrong with fasting, 
But what's the problem? It's all for show. Okay? He says, they're actors. They're doing it. It's, it's, all those things should be a means to an end to know Jesus more, but that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they just want you to think they're amazing, right? They just want all the attention on them. It's all about them, not Jesus. They, they look like Christians. They look like guides who know the way of the narrow gate, but they're fooling us all. They're fooling us all. And in a day and age with so many teachers, that's scary, isn't it? That's scary, that we can be fooled. But here's what I want you to notice. They can fool us all for a little while. That, that, that's the good news here from Jesus. They can fool us all for a little while because here's the good news. Jesus says, we will be able to tell. We will be able to tell. Maybe not immediately, but if we are paying attention, the wolf will eventually show itself to be a wolf. Here's what, here's what he says. Look at verses 16 through 20. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So this is helpful. Jesus actually switches metaphors really quickly. Okay, from wolves and sheep to fruit, okay? And this is really helpful because, I mean, let's say hypothetically, right? Like they're both kind of, it's kind of a crazy example. But hypothetically, you could dress a wolf up like a sheep and it could remain incognito, okay? Like it could, could be convincing, I guess. But with fruit, it's going to eventually give itself away, right? A tree is eventually going to give away whether it has life or not. You can only hide that for so long because its true nature will always reveal itself. Jesus says specifically, a thorn bush can't pretend to be a grapevine for very long. Okay? So let's say, hypothetically, that I had some thorn bushes in my backyard, um, which is not actually hypothetical because I do have thorn bushes in my backyard, and my wife has asked me to get them out of there for a long time, and I haven't. But anyway, need the sermon illustration, right? So that's why I did it. So um, I have these... Let's say I have these thorn bushes in my backyard, which I do. And let's say that instead of just taking them out and getting the weed eater or whatever I get and, and getting those things out of there, um, I decide I just want a vineyard instead because that's really beautiful and cool to have a vineyard in your backyard. So what I do is I get this great idea to go to Kroger and just get a bunch of grapes and a stapler. And I go out to these thorn bushes and I'm like, I'm going to transform the thorn bushes into something beautiful. And so I go through and start just, you know, stapling on grapes as if that were possible and stapling on grapes onto these bushes. And then I have my community group over and we all look out the window and I say, check out my vineyard, <laughs> right? Like, it is, like, yeah, pretty awesome over here, right? Now, could that fool people? Maybe. Like, if someone doesn't know what they're looking for, right? If they're being a little bit lazy, if they're just looking out my window and they take a quick glance and they see a bunch of beautiful grapes, they can say, wow, that's really beautiful, but if they go out and they actually are vigilant and they, and they look at the bushes and they start seeing the thorns and they start seeing the staples and they taste a fruit and they're like, this is mushy. Like, this is, this is not good. What are they going to come to realize? That's not a, that's not a vineyard, right? That, this is not something that grows grapes. This is all a show. This is all fake. You see the point? You can only fake it for so long, but we have to be vigilant. Just because someone has white teeth 
and a nice suit and a doctorate does not mean that they're a reliable guide, right? I mean, that, maybe, maybe, but, but those things could just be stapled on fruit. And so that's what takes us to the big question for our passage this morning. How can we tell the fruit is legit? How can we tell that that fruit is actually coming from the Holy Spirit and it's not just stapled on? Because Jesus says we will recognize them by their fruits. What does that mean? How can we identify a reliable guide through the narrow gate? And so I'm just going to really quickly give you three things. Okay, Three things. Three, just I, I think, general points that are helpful in evaluating leaders. Three uh, essential ways to recognize their fruit and whether it's genuine, the best that we possibly can. Okay, Here they are. Number one, look at their life. Seems obvious, right? But, but actually look at their life. Ask yourself, do they bear the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible talks about in Galatians 5? Remember this? Is that person marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? When, when you look at that person's life, do you see those things? Now, not perfectly. No one does those in perfection, but, except for Jesus. But is their life marked by that? Do, do you see those fruit in their life? Let me ask you a question here, okay? That's going to seem like it's out of left field, but I'll, but I'll show you why it's not. Let me ask you a question. Just think about this to yourself. Why do you come to a worship service on Sunday morning? Why do you come to equipping classes on Sunday morning? Okay. Here's why I ask that question. There's a lot of really valid answers you can give to that, okay? A lot of great answers, but I would assume that one answer you'll give is to be taught the Bible, <laughs> Okay? That's a big thing that we do here on Sunday mornings, if you, especially if you come to equipping classes. You spend a lot of time on Sunday mornings being taught the Bible. But let's just be honest here. You are not getting anything teaching-wise here on a Sunday morning that you can't get on your iPhone while at home. Okay? I mean, honestly, like I'm the one teaching this morning. And I'll say this. You could get a better sermon than you're getting right now on that glowing rectangle in your pocket, and you didn't even have to get out of your pajamas. It, it's true. Okay, I mean, let's just be honest. There's, there's millions of sermons out there. There's millions of teachings out there. And you even get to pick what you want to have the teaching on. Right? You didn't get to pick this this morning, did you? <laughs> so why are you here? Right? Why are you here? And, and uh, let, me, let me just clarify. I, I think we are blessed with some amazing teachers here. Okay? Like we are blessed with some good, amazing Bible teachers. We've had one of the best to do it for 37 years, preaching here in this pulpit. But, but the reality, it's, it's true, right? We have so many options. Why would you come here and do what you're doing right now? Here's why. Here's why you should keep doing that. Because anyone can appear godly for 40 minutes on a stage on Sunday morning. Anyone can appear like a godly leader for 40 minutes on a Sunday. And so we have to have leaders and teachers in our lives who we can observe, who we're in community with. That's the beauty of the local, local church, is that you're led by people who are here with you in the flesh. People that you get to look not only at their teaching, but at their life, at their family you can see how they're actually living. And if they bear these fruit that we're talking about, 
So praise God for all the amazing teaching that we have online, right? I mean, I'll talk about this in a second. Some of the people that have had the greatest effect on me as teachers, I've never met. A lot of them were dead far before I was even alive, okay? But also, you need people in your lives. You need teachers in your lives who you actually know, who you can actually observe and see if there is character there. You need that. And let me say this also. This goes both ways. Our leaders here, they need you, (laughs) okay? Like our leaders here need you so badly. Our elders, anyone who teaches, they need you. And I'll tell you why. Because it is impossible to study this passage as a leader and teacher and not pray, Lord, don't ever let me become a false prophet. I've had to sit with this all week. (laughs) And I've probably prayed that a thousand times. Lord, don't let me become a false prophet. Because I think some people are out intentionally to deceive people. I think some people, unfortunately, don't even know they're doing it. And I think that's actually clear. We'll read the next passage here in a second. I think some people are genuinely going to stand before Jesus and think they did a good job. And they were leading people down the broad path over and over and over again. And so I've prayed that over and over. Lord, don't let me be a false prophet. But here, here's what I've, I've here, this is my theory. And I think it's a pretty good one. I think that the people who end up being deceived and find out too late that they were false prophets, I think the common denominator between all of them is that they were not a part of a community. They didn't have people to look at their life and speak into it and call them out when they saw wolf-like tendencies in them. Or maybe they did and those people failed, never actually did it. So we need you. Okay? Every elder here, every teacher here, we need you to hold us accountable. Maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but I just did. But, but, but I'll speak for me. I need you. I need you. When I go to a camp or a retreat to speak for another church, it is awesome. You know why? Because they think I'm awesome. <laughs> because everyone thinks that the camp speaker is awesome. Like Everyone thinks he's God's gift to earth. Because they only have to see me for a weekend. And I can hide my quirks for a weekend. (laughs) They don't know me, so they think I'm awesome. But you all know me. A lot of y'all do. Some of y'all have known me since I was nine years old, right? Some of y'all, you you actually have seen my life. You You can see my family. You can see the fruit of the Spirit in me, or not see the fruit of the Spirit in me, and call me out if that's needed. So you see, this goes both ways. We all need the local church, okay? So please, don't say that I was telling you you don't come here for teaching on a Sunday morning. Hear me, we need this, right? We need each other. This is so important what we're doing. Now, before I move on, just another important reminder. This is so key, so key. Listen to this, please, carefully. Just because someone's ministry is fruitful doesn't mean their life is bearing fruit. Do you hear that? Let me, let, me say it, let me say it a different way. Success in ministry doesn't always equal godliness. Do you hear that? Can I say it again? Success in ministry doesn't always equal godliness. Can I prove it to you? Actually, you have plenty of proofs just looking out into, into the, the world, right? But let me prove it to you in Scripture. Look at the passage coming after ours. Okay, we're studying this next week. Starting in verse 21. Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's scary. What's that say? Just because someone teaches powerfully in Jesus' name and casts out demons and accomplishes great things in their ministry and has a big church, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're godly. But we can get so enamored with those things, can't we? We can get so enamored by ministry success. Uh, I love this story. So Eugene Peterson tells this story that early in his ministry, he planted a church. And as he was planting a church, he would have to give updates to his denominational leaders about how things were going. And the updates had two parts to them. So the first part was all about his ministry success. So you can picture what was on that, right? Attendance, budget, salvations, baptisms, all those things that are really important but are kind of the stats of a, of a good minister. And then the second section was how he's doing personally, how he was doing following Jesus, whether his life as he saw it was bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And his church was growing pretty rapidly. They were doing a lot of great things. So he would fill these reports out and he would send them to the denominational leaders and they would always write back, great job, you're doing great, Eugene. Keep going, right? It was always super positive. And after a while of doing this, he kind of started figuring out that they may not be reading that second section. They may not be reading the part where he actually talked about his character and how he was doing as a follower of Jesus. So he said, well, here, I'm just going to mess with them, okay? I'll test them, and let's see if they're actually reading the things that I'm writing. And so he just started totally making stuff up. Okay, so the first section, he would write all the real statistics of his ministry. And the second section on how he was doing, he totally just started making up whatever came to his mind that day. So let me give you some examples. The first month, he wrote in his report that he had gotten really depressed, that he was considering quitting the pastorate, and he asked if they knew a counselor he could meet up with. No response. Didn't, didn't even acknowledge it, didn't hear, didn't, didn't hear a thing. So the next month, he took it up a notch. The, the, the next month, he told them that he had a drinking problem. <laughs> and he was drinking so much on Saturday night that Sunday morning preaching was really hard because he was super hungover. And he just asked if they had any advice, okay? Like, like how, he could, how he could help with that. No response. So he decided, I'm going to take it up a notch. The third month, he writes and says, guys, I got I to gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm having an affair with a church member. No response. Okay? The fourth month, he's like, I got to take it up another notch. So he says, hey, guys, um, our worship services were getting a little dull. So I tried this new thing. I've been standing at the front door handing out psychedelic mushrooms. And things have gotten awesome. Like the Holy Spirit is moving. And so I'm just giving you that as a tip if you want to tell that to other church planners because it has really been working for us. Finally, he, he went to his denominational headquarters for his yearly performance review, and they sat down in front of him and just told him how amazing he was doing. They, were so, they knew every stat, right? They told him, you know, they're so thankful that this many people are coming to your church, and you've seen this many people saved. That's amazing. But he realized he didn't even read the second section. They hadn't seen any of it. Why? Because that's not what they cared about. They weren't enamored by that. The assumption was that if your church is growing, 
and you're seeing fruit in your ministry, then you must be okay. That was their assumption. But let me just tell you, that's not true. That is not true. We can't assume godliness just because there's ministry success. Let's go to the second point. Here's number two. The second way to identify a wolf. Look at their teaching. Be vigilant and pay attention to their teaching. When you receive teaching, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or on a podcast or a YouTube video or whatever, don't just blindly follow. Compare what you're hearing to what's being taught in Scripture. Be Bereans, right? I know that word has a, has a, lo- a long history here of men and women who have committed to being Bereans. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the Bereans in Acts 17, do you remember what they did? Paul and Silas show up. They teach the scriptures. And what do they do? Well, here's what it says, Acts 17. It says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's the model, right? Receive the word with eagerness and then examine to see if it is so. That's what we do. And by the way, if you've never thought about this, you know, that's why we teach the way that we do here. That's why we primarily teach expositional sermons, which means that we open up the scriptures and we work through them and we try to show you where we're getting stuff. (laughs) That's why we do that, because we want you to open the scriptures with us and see how we're getting what we're saying to you. Okay? And, that, and look, I'm not, I'm not making the claim that that means that our interpretation is always 100% right. But what it should say to you is that we're trying to get this from Scripture. Okay? We're, we're trying our best as teachers to go on our knees before God and open the Word and open this up to you and tell you the way to the narrow path, the best that we can interpret it. Right? That's our goal as teachers, is to teach you the Bible not just what we want to teach you. Okay? That, that's what we are about here. And it's because we want you to open the scripture and observe what we're saying and, and compare it to what the Bible says. So, so look, take that. Okay? You do it here on a Sunday morning. Take that home. Okay? When you're listening to that podcast preacher, do it with your Bible open. When you're listening in your equipping class, do it with your Bible open. When a new teacher pops up on YouTube, Listen with your Bible open. You, you with me, okay? Compare to what the scriptures have to say. Now, before I move on, one more thing. I think, this is, I think this is a word that our church needs to hear, okay? Our church, I think, needs to hear this. Let me just remind you, the two things we're talking about, you're looking for both of them, okay? Character and good teaching. Character good teaching. Here's why I say that. Am I right in saying that West Park is a church that cares about the truth? Is that fair? Yeah, amen, right? West Park, I think that has been a strength of ours for a very long time. We are a church that cares about what the Bible says. We are a church that cares about biblical truth, and that is an amazing thing. Praise God for that. Here's a tendency that our church could tend to fall in. We could think that just because someone teaches well and they teach the Bible and their theology is good, that they also have good character and are a reliable guide. That's not so, okay? The tendency, there are a lot of churches who say, well, yeah, he doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) He has an anger problem and he's a jerk 
right? And, he, and he, he just runs over everyone, and no one likes him, and he's just, just, there's no fruit of the Spirit in him, but man, is he good with the Bible. <laughs> but man, does he value Scripture. But man, can he teach a theologically rich sermon. No, both those things, you, you, you with me, okay? It's character and it's orthodoxy, Okay, you see, it's, we need both of these things in a God. Not perfectly, okay? Not perfectly. Everyone's going to fall. Everyone is going to be, um, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Every teacher is a sinner too. But even in their flaws, is that person humbly trying to love God and love people? That's the question, right? That's the question. And that takes us to our final point. And I'll close with this. Here's the, here's the third way to spot a wolf, the third way to spot a wolf, and I would actually say this may be the most important. The third way, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Here's a good diagnostic question when you're listening to a teacher. Is this person leading me to Jesus? When you are taught by that person, do you come away saying, that guy's awesome? Or do you come away saying, Jesus is awesome? That's, that's the diagnostic question right there. Who is that person pointing you to? Themselves or Jesus? Now, I, I did this little, maybe you should do this, okay? This little activity I did this week. So I, I wrote down my five greatest influences as a follower of Jesus to this point in my life. Thinking about Bible teachers, right? My five greatest influence of the people who have shown me how to get to the narrow gate, right? And walk through the narrow gate and walk that way and follow Jesus. Here's my five, okay? Here's my five. Number one, Sam Polson, okay? A lot of people have that probably on their list. Number two, Derek Grizz. So a lot of y'all know him, right? He's a former pastor here who we sent out to plant Emmanuel Church six years ago or so. And then three guys I, I don't know, okay? Um, Tim Keller, pastor in Manhattan who, who died back in May. Charles Spurgeon, pastor in England who died 100 years before I was born, and then C.S. Lewis, okay? So those are my five. Those are my five guides in the Christian life. And here's the interesting thing. Start comparing that list. Those guys are all different, very different, different giftings, but all very gifted. All ministry success, all gifted writers. I mean, it's impossible to like look at C.S. Lewis, read a book by C.S. Lewis and not say, whoa, he's great, right? But here's the common denominator between all five of those guys. When I am taught by them, I love Jesus more. <laughs> like I, I listen to them or I read their teaching and I love Jesus more. They're great. They're talented. They're awesome. But they know Jesus is more awesome. And that's what we're looking for in a guide. Because that's the point. Jesus says, enter the narrow gate. But what's that look like? Well, well Jesus tells us. Here's John 10, 9. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So what's the narrow gate? Jesus. <laughs> so how do you know if a teacher is reliable? Are they pointing you to Jesus? Or are they just trying to build their platform? Because let me tell you this, okay? Let me tell you this. Every leader will eventually let you down. Okay? Because they're all sinners. 
Okay? Every leader, no matter how godly they are, will, will eventually let you down in some ways. You know, some people say leadership is just disappointing people at a rate they can handle. Okay? That's, all, that's all it is because, because you're a sinner and you're just trying to lead people the best you can to Jesus while constantly letting them down. But Jesus is the truly faithful one. Jesus is the one that if you're following him, he will truly never lead you astray. Teaching is just a means to an end of getting to Jesus. That's what it's all about. So if the teaching you're listening to, no matter how great it sounds and no matter how helpful it is, if it isn't leading you to Jesus, get rid of it. Because that's what this is about. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have given us Jesus as the reliable guide in the life of the narrow way. We thank you that even though the the narrow way is, is hard. Life on the narrow way is hard. That you came, you sent your son Jesus to live that perfect life we couldn't live. To perfectly do this. To have character. To teach the truth. To be the guide that we were needing. And I pray that you will just raise up in this city, in this nation, in this world, many reliable guides in the way of Jesus. People that Point us to him and show us how beautiful he is. Let us be a church that's not deceived, that is always following you, and is reminded that you are the truly faithful one because great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.